This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is the Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer Podcast. Your chance to hear expert advice, real life stories and more. We were joined by Lisa Sherrington-Boyd. She's also known as Principal Lisa, the potty queen, to talk about the things that are stressing us out with our kids. Full disclosure, I was picking her brains on all things sibling rivalry because, my goodness, I am suffering. So what advice did she have and what does she think about the naughty chair? Speaking to an author about encouraging kids to eat healthily, how STEM could be future-proofing your child for a future career, and in our legal hour discussing all things domestic workers in terms of gratuity, visas, and what you need to know about the latest law changes. Joining us in the studio is Lisa Sherrington-Boyd, also known as Principal Lisa, the Potty Queen, here to help with anything child-related that's stressing you out. She is an ex-nursery school principal here in Dubai, and Nanny herself has been working with babies and children, other people's and her own, for the last 30-odd years. So she does help with potty training. We've already had questions in on that, but child and toddler behaviour as well. And I guess I want to start with that, Lisa. Child behaviour, namely my children's (laughs) behaviour. You nearly got a a tearful voice note over the weekend because I have honestly cried three times in the last week with my kids fighting. It has become so stressful for them to be around each other and then for me to be around them that I don't know, I just don't know what to do. And I mentioned to friends, oh, the girls aren't really getting on. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, ours don't. And I'm like, no. No, they're really, really not getting on. So for context, my children are nearly six and nearly eight, two girls, and it's vicious. We came home the other night and our nanny Loretta said, I don't want to upset you, but um, they were really fighting tonight. And it was something really silly, like doing their t- you know, teeth and wheeze before bed and one was on the toilet and the other one just grabbed her hair and tried to pull her off the toilet. It's violent. So I don't know where to start. And I think a lot of people struggle and find it, like I do, really emotional. And I massively blame myself because they're often fighting over me and fighting over my attentions and affections. So when should you really worry about sibling rivalry? And when is it really just something very normal that kids go through to work out their feelings and their boundaries in a safe space? Oh, bless you. I just want to thank you (laughs) on behalf of everybody that's listening, you know, to the mum that's listening right now who needs to know that other people feel and think and feel desperate and don't know what to do as a parent. Parenting is the most difficult job in the world and it's overwhelming. Just to, before I answer, to put into context what you've said to me mm. about wanting to voice note me over the weekend, yeah. I started my day at 5.30am this morning answering messages just like you've described. Really? Monday mornings, my my phone rings hot with families, feeling overwhelmed, don't know where to go, not sure what to do. My so nerves those are feelings, shredded. Yes. Shredded. And I completely lost my cool with them, completely, and cried in front of them, which I feel terrible about because I know they're blaming themselves now for upsetting me. But And what I said to them, which I shouldn't have said to them, is when you behave like this, it makes me not want to spend time with you. Yeah. which is awful and I, ha- I hate myself for saying it but it's true so i don't i don't know how to lower the violence <laughs> for okay. a better phrase 
Okay, well, I'm here for you, you know, okay. and, and so let's try and work, let's try and work through this. I think the first thing I want to say is that what you've described is really common, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. There are solutions and there are methods that could help you right now. So I almost wish that you did call me. There's usually, whenever I work the family and I'm off to do a home visit this afternoon, there's usually a trigger point that people think I've had enough. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that is the time to reach out. Even if you you record a message, but you don't send it, but that is what you need to hear back. So it's really common, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is don't underestimate the feelings that you feel around that. Because imagine you were going through a divorce you wouldn't be able to cope with the feelings of rouse, the discord in your family. You would find that very difficult to deal with. So the other people in your life, which are namely your children who aren't getting on, can cause just about the same level of hurt mm-hmm. and pain and distress. So these are these are real feelings. But what is going on for the girls is also, you know, really big, real big real feelings and when they grab each other's hair they they do really mean it there is that intent oh yeah there is that intent of i feel so angry so annoyed with you and that this is what i want to do and there's no impulse control especially in the younger one she's furious and then i think yesterday i said you know are you okay because she seemed almost shaken by her own behavior and just because it's your sibling doesn't mean that it's any less impactful or traumatic, really. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're describing is a very typical scene in a family, really typical. But it doesn't mean that those feelings, you know, aren't just as real and kind of overwhelming. So the very first thing that I would suggest you do is what you suggested, your very self in the beginning of this of this call. So, you know, maybe listen back, as you said, do we need to reflect? And I think the first thing to do is to actually take a quiet moment to reflect whether that's with a friend or whether that's with somebody that does this, you know, does this for a job in some way Mm -hmm. and just try to look at what happened before the incident, what happened during it and then what happened after. The The after is really crucial. Is it's almost constant. I go from, well, it doesn't matter, it's going exactly in the same boat, Helen, the bickering is driving me insane. You describe what I'm going through as many others, I'm sure. It feels like if I'm going to split up their waking hours, it feels like 80% of the time is them getting on each other's nerves. 10% is quiet when they're watching something. And then 10% would be them maybe giggling and getting on. Yeah, it's it's not like I don't feel like it's an incident I could define as before, during, and after. It's just ongoing chaos. But there and will be before, during, and after, mm. and it's about unpicking. It's about unpicking that. In, in a lot of my work, I will go in and cr- into a crisis situation where someone will say the same as what you've said. So we have to break it down because we do we we do need to look at what are those triggers so that we can prepare ahead, so that we actually have some strategies because mm-hmm. that sounds you know unsustainable you know, for you as a family. So if I was in a consultation with you, I think the first, one of the first questions I would ask you, you might be surprised by is, well, what works? Can I just ask you that first? What, what have you found has worked in the past? (sighs) Oh, there's lots of things that haven't worked. Um, Sometimes I let them just get on with it. And I'm like, call me if there's blood, you know, (laughs) 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 because I feel like whenever I try and go in, I get accused of, well, that's not what happened. She started it. 
you know, and there's lots, we have lots and lots of telling tales. And what I'm trying to say to them is you trying to score, you know, score points with me by telling tales on your sister doesn't make me favour you in any way. It just annoys me. So what works is separating them. To be honest. Yes. Now, putting some space, some physical space and mm-hmm. time between siblings in this situation can help. It can also give yourself time. Playing for time is is really kind of important. Yeah. And, you you know, you've said a few things that if you listen back to you, there's quite a lot of solutions in what you said. So you said what works is not stepping in. OK, so because one of the problems when you step in is what the problem is in the st- in the first place. The reason that there's a lot of this going on is girls, boys, siblings are fighting for your attention. They 100%. want to be your, they without meaning to, they naturally want to be your favourite, the best one, the one that gets that from mum, the one. The golden that, child. Yes. yes, you see, so they're vying for that. And the problem is, is when you then get involved, their capacity to problem solve is almost diminished Mm -hmm. because their need to be the winner and to be on top with you actually precedes their their problem-solving skills. Joining us live in the studio today is Lisa Sherrington-Boyd. She's also known as Principal Lisa. Lisa and the potty queen as well. So we have had a couple of potty training messages. We always end up talking toilet with you, uh, Lisa. So before that, though, we were just discussing sibling rivalry. And messages are saying, Helen, I'm battling with my four children fighting on an hourly basis. I've said much worse than not wanting to spend time with them. My answer to them is there will never be treats, holidays or fun if, until this ends, which will probably be never. Lillian's got some advice. <laughs> I like this. Saying... I assigned my kids jobs to do when they fought, do dishes, fold laundry and other things. My kids hated doing chores, um, so they started fighting less. Plus, the help around the house was nice. <laughs> some, some consistent uh, consequences there. Now, I guess I, the kind of takeaway I want from you is what to do in the moment. When the hair pulling starts, when the whacking starts, when it all escalates, what should we as parents do to take some control back? So that's what I would call a high risk situation. And the first thing I would do when I was if I was working with you is to prepare for that. So I think it's important that when you when anybody presents with a problem such as a family, so you're saying that right now we've got this fighting. So that is the problem. So we need to look at what's going on around it. So we need to look holistically. So that would be part of our work together. But we would also need to plan mm-hmm. for that. And I think planning for that high risk situation of what do we do when you have hit someone over the head or pulled them off the toilet like you described mm-hmm. is what are we going to do? And I think the 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 girls in your case have got to be a part of that so that you've already explained this is something that's been worrying us you know you could even have that conversation with each girl privately Mm -hmm. sometimes with siblings when you do have any of these bigger conversations it can be helpful to do it in a private way or any kind of discipline that you discipline one but you don't discipline the other do it privately so get the girls into a conversation maybe sit down one-on-one with them big piece of paper some coloring pens and get some ideas down 
this is the problem, girls. Talk me through it. Tell me. So, but do it individually. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, I can hear you. I can see that that's what happens there. This is what I think we could try. Do you have an idea as well? So you work out a strategy between them and then you come back to the girls and you say, when this happens again, this is what's going to happen. Give me some examples of what could happen. Because at the minute it's like, we're going to flush the iPad down the toilet. Okay, all right. Now I get that, and I I want to. It doesn't ab- work, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I want to admit on air, right, that you know I once was a mother in this situation, and I threw an Xbox out of the window onto the washing line. You know those washing lines that you have in the UK that are like um, the spinny ones. The spinny ones. Okay, I knew it was there, and I just about had enough. And it was a, it was at school holidays, and I was you know in my twenties, and I was like, that is it, or whatever it was. Console out the window. Console out the window. And um, and then I always can never forget their faces. So I know what it feels like. All right. But you've already worked out what those strategies are. Now, the first things first is safety, mm-hmm. personal safety. So if somebody has hurt somebody else, is that we can recognize that this is a difficult situation for both of you, but I need to help the person that's hurt. Mm-hmm. So you then need to turn to, to help the person that's hurt. And then the other person who isn't hurt you need to say, you will get a chance to explain to me what happened. I do want to hear, but right now I just need to keep everybody safe. So letting them know that they will be heard, that you are going to talk it through with them. But right now you need to, to help the person that's that's got, you know, that's obviously got mm-hmm. the sore head or, you know, or the whatever it was. Or the scratches or the, and so it goes on. Yeah. So okay. safety first. Yeah. Okay. So making sure everybody's okay. And then to put some space between them and maybe even some space between you and them. So let's imagine they're both fighting. There's not one who's more hurt than the other. Then that's when you call a family timeout. And that's when everybody is going to take a few moments and then we'll come back to that situation. Now, when you first start working on these sorts of things, it is a little bit time consuming because those conversations can be quite long. Tell you what, gentle parenting is a full time job in itself. I don't know who's got the time for it, to be completely honest. Yes, but you see, the problem is with gentle parenting is, is it's shifted from gentle parenting to totally passive yeah, parenting. I agree. And that's not OK either, because actually the rule is it's not OK to hit. Absolutely. And their behaviour is not acceptable. And crouching down going, I see you're feeling frustrated. Yes. While there's bloodshed. That's true. (laughs) But the problem is, is right now the girls do not have the greatest of skills Mm -hmm. of being able to conflict management whilst you're present or about to be present. So they need some help with those skills. Lisa, you're going to be getting a phone call from me. We're going to help other people now, but I do hope this sibling chat has been valuable to anyone else. And thank you for your messages because it has definitely made me feel less alone in the... uh, The stress, like I said, my nerves are absolutely shredded at the minute. So thank you for all of those messages. Joining us live this afternoon is Lisa Sherrington-Boyd. She's also known as Principal Lisa, the potty queen as well. She's worked as a principal in Dubai Nursery. She's been a nanny herself. She's mum as well and offers all sorts of amazing services from potty and toilet training, sleep training and helping, as we've been discussing, some behavioural issues too. Speaking of behaviour, I wanted to get your take on the naughty chair or thinking spot, as as some people call it. Can you explain the concept around it, Lisa? So... The naughty chair or time out was brought in really as an alternative for smacking. 
Um, that was its original aim. And when it was created by a team of psychologists in America as an option for behaviour, it was done in very controlled circumstances um, with a very set recipe of what you do. And using that very set recipe, it was decided this is a very sensible and great option for managing, you know, limit pushing, boundary pushing, you know, behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the original idea behind it. And of course, you, you've got Super Nanny, which, you know, who uses it a lot on yeah, TV. She, endorses it a lot. she does. And in fact, actually, the American Association of Pediatrics suggest using this as a behavioral method. So this is not, you know, you know someone's not doing something wrong if they're doing it. But the problem is, is that it isn't used in the same way as the as when they did the research of how to do it. Yeah, funny that a, a lab situation doesn't translate to the absolute chaos of having children and toddlers in the house. Weird, right? Yes. <laughs> and so the way that it ends up being used in the home and in, in some nurseries and schools doesn't really reflect the original method. Mm-hmm. So therefore, someone like Daniel Siegel has raised a concern around it that it disconnects children. And it's the very connection which helps children to regulate their emotions. And so therefore, it can be harmful and not effective. I... I'm very much in two minds about it because we didn't have time out. We should just get locked in, in a bedroom for a while to kind of cool down. And actually sometimes cooling down time can be really helpful. But now what I find kind of difficult is if my child is really upset, the thought of them telling them to go away and try and cope with something that they clearly can't cope with isn't, isn't that useful. Does that yeah. make sense? I don't want to think of saying, you know, you will be pushed away or you, will, you are not going to be included in our family unless you are feeling like this or behaving like this. When you kind of break it down to that, I'm like, oh, it's a bit problematic for me as a parent. And that's not to say for anyone else, if it works for you, you know, power to you. It's the way that it's done, I think. Mm. So in triple P parenting, which is What's one of... triple P parenting? Triple P parenting is positive parenting programme. And this is a method which is undisputed as being a way to manage family life. It's basically how to be a parent. I run triple P parenting courses and they run all over the world. You can even do them online. Okay, so it's something that's accessible to everybody. In the UK, we give it away for free. Mm -hmm. But what we suggest in there is that it is a measure to keep people safe. So if you need to use the naughty chair, thinking spot, time out as a way to help yourself as the parent feel regulated, to be able to deal with this situation so that you don't end up doing something that you you regret then yes it's there but if you if you you can use something called time in but there isn't a great deal of research about it but i you know i have found it to be quite effective mm-hmm. but it's the way in which you send the child to the room you can also model time out yourself in which you're saying listen i'm going to take a bit of time out myself here i'm going to come back to this in a minute so you take the time out and you actually leave the child you know you can stay here if you want to mm-hmm. but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and just sit in my bedroom because I feel like my heart's racing. So I'm going to just go and sit down for a bit. Okay. Any questions on that? Let us know. Craig saying at a nursery a few years ago, our little boy fell off a chair. As he fell backwards, his foot caught another child under the chin. He was asked to apologise to the child, but didn't as he didn't know what he'd done wrong. Subsequently spent an hour and 20 minutes on the naughty chair. Needless to say, we didn't go back. Um, 
I want to go, I want to talk potty, if you don't mind. Um, we've had a question here um, asking about a seven-year-old boy um, saying, our seven-year-old has never had a dry night. He wakes up with a full nappy and isn't motivated to get rid of the nappy. Says he will when he's 10, which I think is his way of dealing with his anxiety around it. He doesn't drink much um, after 5pm. One-year-old just wanted to prescribe medication after a five-minute consultation in which he didn't ask anything about our son, no medical history, which I felt uncomfortable about. He's dry during the day, pees standing up, no constipation, but when he needs to wee, he can't wait, so it's often a mad dash to the bathroom. Do I need to be worried? Um, Well, I don't think you need to be worried, but I do think taking action is something, if I'm honest, needs to happen. Um, And, you know, please reach out to me. Let's get started on this. Let's let's look at solutions. Okay, so I want to come back to the first thing that mummy says there is he's not motivated. Well, I have a vague idea that I might like to play tennis one day. Okay, I kind of think that might be a nice thing to do. So, you know, maybe one day I'll play I'll play tennis, but I'm not very motivated to do it because I haven't a clue how to play tennis and I don't have a tennis racket and I certainly don't have any balls. So I need to make a change there, don't I? But I'm not motivated. So your son right now sounds like he doesn't really know how to make that step. So in his mind, he's thought, well, when I'm 10, maybe I'll have the skills, but I don't have them right now. Mm -hmm. And so motivation, I get this a lot. Well, my son's not really motivated. He does, you know, poops in his pants and doesn't seem to care. Actually, they do care, but they just don't know what to do about it. That's the first thing I would say. And I think... A seven-year-old having to wear nappies at night warrants, you know, some support and help. And as a parent, you, you, you haven't done oodles of research and training. How do you know what to do? And I think that's really interesting that that kind of instincts come through about going to urologist and going, actually, you haven't really asked the questions that you should be asking about our lifestyle and his medical history. And you're just giving us a prescription and that does not sit well with me. So that's not to say don't go to a paediatric urologist it's more to say let's look at a bigger picture here and sometimes that comes down to someone like you and you do and the thing is is people look at a problem in isolation but Mm -hmm. you have to unpick it and go backwards so I think it's very interesting that he's stood up to pee now there's nothing wrong with standing up to pee but some children don't fully empty in my experience now I'm not medically trained it's just years and years and years of toilet learning with kids has taught me this Mm. I'm wondering whether he's fully emptying I'm relieved to know he's not constipated because that can also be together but we've got standing up to pee is he fully emptying during the day do we need to have a bit more routine around toileting um and a closer look at what you know what is happening um with that but You know, the urologist isn't wrong in making a suggestion about medication. It's probably he was going to give him some kind of hormone supplement because it's possible that he's not producing vasopressin secretion, which is what our kidneys produce, um, you know, which slows down urine production. It's not wrong that he did that, but it may be helpful to look at other things. And there are lots of things like bed wetting alarms, all sorts of methods that you can do to fix this. Okay, really hope that helps. And I'll connect you offline to Lisa. No name on this message saying, what are your thoughts on using diapers for toddlers who've already been potty trained to avoid nighttime accidents? Our toddler was fine until the winter started. She refuses to go to the loo if I take her in the middle of the night and ends up having accidents. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting one. I'm not so sure about this going to the going to the toilet in the night. We years ago we used to do dream peas and it was advocated that we would, you know, do dream peas and that you would you would 
wake up a child around 10 or 11 and pop them on the toilet when they were half asleep. It's not that that's wrong. It's just that there is a theory that when you take a child to the toilet in the night, you're actually encouraging their kidneys to produce urine at that time Mm -hmm. every night. Makes sense. So are we taking her to the toilet because she needs to go to the toilet or are we taking her to the toilet because we want to make sure we can get it empty so she doesn't have an accident and now she actually hates going to the toilet in the night? That's what my thought is there. What okay. What's happening there? Okay. All right. Food for thought. Um, and Anna's saying our daughter is three and a half, still won't do a number two in the potty, even though she has done it once or twice. She took forever with wheeze as well. Don't want to push her as she will hold her in and we're not going anywhere with this. It's been almost a year. Weirdly, it's absolutely dry at night, wears knickers and barely has has an accident. Just point blank refuses to do a poo anywhere apart from her nappy. First thing to say, look, well done and brilliant that you've managed to get pee sorted, but you haven't got pee sorted and you need some help with that. You've tried this on your own for a year. Now it's time to reach for the professional and I am the poo-poo lady. (laughs) She has the costumes and the Instagram reels to prove it. Yeah, I'm about to go off to a home visit for the very same issue with my poop costume in my bag. Look, if, you know, I don't care what I look like. I just want these children to break through this poop issue because if we've got to the age of three and she's not comfortable to release the poop into the potty or the toilet, there are some behaviour elements that we need to look into because we can't just remove that nappy because they can withhold and then that can lead to impaction. Mm -hmm. That's a big issue. But we may need to work alongside a doctor, but we need to investigate. It's time to move forward, especially before we start school because they'll just send you home if you've got a poop in your pants. They will indeed. (laughs) Send you home if you've got a poop in your pants. And that's going to be our our big takeaway for today. Lisa, thank you so much for coming in. We've had a number of people asking for your details. What's the best way of reaching out to you? Oh, bless you. Well, just get in touch with me on Instagram. My mobile number's there. My email's there. DM me. I get back to everybody. And if you want Lisa's details, I'll be happy to send you a link. Just send me the word potty and I will send it your way. Send me poop. I've got Send a poo emoji. Why not? I've got a brilliant expert I'm going to talk to you about on, on another show because um, we took the girls yesterday to be assessed for their breathing and, and, and mouth breathing and it was fascinating and I've learned at the age of 40 I've got a severe tongue tie now that is very interesting it's so interesting but I think a lot of your clients could help with that in terms of sleep yes. really interesting one so we'll talk we'll talk mouth breathing kids sleep and more on, on a future show but in the meantime if you do want Lisa's details get in touch you can send potty or you can just send me a little poop and I'll send the link your way I love a busy studio and we've brought together this afternoon a a wonderful mix of literature and food. Two of my favourite things. Author Epsem Elbeti is with us with her second book called Citrus, the Smoothie Sloth. And she's now collaborated with Life Smoothies. The founder is with us as well. Lynette Meissner is with us. Welcome, ladies. So lovely for you to be here. And we've got a special guest in the studio. We've got a sloth for good reason. I should say for health and safety purposes, not a real one, but you've got you've got a fluffy citrus with us. How are you today? We are fine. We're so, so excited to be here today. I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about this project. Tell us a little bit about the book, first of all. What, what, what's, where did the idea come from? What it's all about? So Citrus, the smoothie slot, the idea actually came about when I was doing an event um, at the Green Planet and there was a slot called Lemon there. So I had a massive light bulb moment. So I was thinking, sloth, lemon, oh my goodness. And I got my little notepad out and I started writing and that's where the idea came. So 
um, because of lemon. So I thought that would be a great book for kids uh, to talk about healthy eating. Um, slots also are really cool. So kids love slots. Love slots. Yeah. So that's how the idea came about. And then I just started writing. And honestly, it was it just flowed. Everything flowed uh, so quickly. And yeah, so today we're here with the second edition of Citrus the Smoothie Sloth. With a delicious twist, which is where we bring you in. Tell us a little bit about Life Smoothies. What are you all about and where did it start? Yes. Hi, Helen. Um, We are a company called Life Smoothies. I'm the founder of Life Smoothies. So we are a unique smoothie product. So it's uh, individually quick frozen uh, fruits that we use. 100% 100% natural, no added sugar, no preservatives. So we provide the, uh, the sachet with mixed fruit. You open the sachet, blend it in the blender with a liquid of your choice, and you have a smoothie. So we use real fruit pieces. So uh, most of our clients is cinemas, coffee shops. So we provide the ingredients to make your own smoothie. Can I ask then, what are some of the most popular that you have? What well, are some of the faves? The favorite one is our mango paradise. I'm sure everybody knows our mango paradise. It's mango, passion fruit and pineapple. So it's Yum. a little bit of sweetness of the mango and then a little bit sourness of the, of the passion fruit. So it's an amazing combination. Totally tropical. Tell us then how this collaboration came about. So um, for the second edition of uh, Citrus the Smoothie Sloth, uh, we've included a secret smoothie recipe at the back. So we've been doing uh, lots of school readings. And then I had the idea, well, I mean, it's it's all easy to say, well, the book needs to encourage, you know, parents and educators um, to, for, to let their children, you know, eat healthy and how do we enforce that? But I was thinking, how can we do it in a fun way that like kids would really benefit, but also enjoy it? Mm -hmm. So naturally, I was thinking, well, the book's about smoothies. So collaborate with the smoothie company. And honestly, that's how it started, Helen. So I reached out to Nanette and immediately she was on board. And um, it's been so, so amazing, Helen. We've been visiting lots of schools. Um, We've been offering free smoothies to the kids and the kids have have really, really responded so, so well. We actually had a child in one of the schools say, I've never tasted a smoothie in my life. So I said, well, today's your lucky day. And then he had three and he said, it's the most delicious (laughs) drink that he's ever had. That's really, really adorable. You actually launched... Well, sorry, Citrus made his debut um, last year at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Yeah. And you are launching the second edition, which is it's coming up really quick, but I think about three weeks away, the, the Lit Fest. Um, what have you got in store for, for that weekend? So uh, we've got something very special. So uh, we hope our listeners will be joining us, especially if you've got little ones. So we will be reading uh, Citrus the Smoothie Sloth and we've planned something very special uh, with Life Smoothies. And we're, shall I say, going to have some very special bikes with us as well. Oh, that's okay. Can you yes, tell us so more we on that? really make it interesting uh, at the schools. We don't just blend the smoothies and give it out to the children. So we have uh, smoothie bikes. So the children hop on the bike, blend their own smoothie. They can see the process of the fruits being blended. So it's very interactive. They love it. And uh, it, it fits perfect with, uh, with citrus. So you can see the healthy living. You can see what's in your smoothie, what they like, the, the best questions to ask before before we start the reading is uh, what fruits do you like? And all of those fruits is in our smoothie. So it's actually very, very, very edu- educational to, to the children as well. And it ties them out. Yeah. It's a perfect combination. <laughs> yeah. Not one, but two guests in the studio this afternoon. We have got author Abdisson and we've also got Nanette from Life Smoothies. Now, 
the second edition of Citrus the Smoothie Sloth is going to be there at the Emirates Literature Festival. And I was wondering if we could have a little bit of a bit of story time this afternoon. Are you okay to give us a few pages? Yes, we are so excited to give you just a little snippet. Are you ready? I am. Not just any smoothies. That's not what I mean. But the fruitiest, juiciest, slothiest smoothies you've ever seen. He slowly curled his long slothy claws around the biggest, fattest, yummiest fruit of all and squeezed with one big, enormous squeeze. His eyes grew large, his mouth opened wide and his whole sluggish body tingled inside. And when Citrus started, he just couldn't stop. What a magical feeling for this little sloth. Citrus is on a mission to help our children have more fruit and veggies, more fruit um, in, their, in their lives. And so is Nanette from Life Smoothies. Um, tell us a little bit about how this collaboration is going to be, I guess, taking it to the next level. What are you planning? So we're planning a Citrus's own smoothie. So in the second edition, um, the recipe is inside the book. So you have to get the book to know the recipe. And uh, we, will be pre- we will be preparing the, the smoothie. It's going to be in a pre-portioned cup that you just add the liquid, blend it, and you serve it inside the cup as well. So it's on the go smoothie that we'll be launching soon. Okay, I have a question for you. And I have a few, well, one main issue with smoothies. Bananas. I don't like bananas. Yeah, that's... In fact, it's almost a phobia. Can you help? Yes, of course. We have more than, <laughs> we have 14 smoothies on our menu at the moment. And uh, five of them are without banana. So we definitely cater for everybody. Good. Okay. Because people are always like, so this smoothie, you'll never taste it. I'm like, I can taste it. Don't, don't test me. Um, so what day are you going to be at the Literature Festival? And what can, what can we expect in terms of, you said there's going to be bikes. We're going to have a reading. Yes. What else is going on? So we're going to be at the festival on Sunday the 5th at um, 4.15. It's a, it's a children's session. And we're going to have a very engaging, very interactive uh, story time. And then we've got live smoothies come on. And they're going to have their very special bikes. The kids are going to have so much fun. They're going to experience putting their fruits inside the bikes and making their own smoothies and you know it's everything is connected they get to do a bit of you know physical activities and they get a a healthy drink at the end well thank you so much how can we follow you and uh, citrus adventures so you can follow me on instagram at author underscore ibtisam underscore albeiti and all upcoming events are on my instagram and you can follow Life Smoothies as well on their Instagram on life.smoothies. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your passion and bringing a very cute little guest. If you want details of the book, drop me a message. As I said, we'll be there at the Literature Festival on, the, on that Sunday as well. So I hope to bump into you. Enjoy. Bring me a smoothie. I'll be, sure. I'll be parched. One without banana. One without <laughs> banana. Thank you. I thank, appreciate that. Thank Nanette. you so much. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. If you do want details of the book, drop me a message on 4001. We are talking tech now. If you're frustrated by the amount of time your kids are using on their screens, could they be using that screen time better? Could they be building their own game? Could they be creating their own future? It's exactly what one entrepreneur is offering with his platform. Finding out more now about Geek Express and talking STEM coding, screen time in general with Ryan Najdi. Um, where did your love of tech come from, Ryan? 
it's it's a combination of love and te- of tech and love of education. So when I was in uni and I was enrolled in computer engineering, when I started learning about the different uh, topics in engineering, especially in terms of coding and technology, I started realizing that we should have been taught these subjects way earlier back mm-hmm. in school. And this was, I think, the 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 uh, seed of that the idea came in after to teach students technology and coding and to prepare them well ahead of the university because by then you know kind of like kids their interests uh, or anyone uh, their interest is already shaped yeah uh, he was already decided what he want to do you want to tackle it way early on to get them into education and things have changed an awful lot we can i mean i love that you're kind of owning the word geek with geek express but they the kind of previous perception was you know it's going to be a bunch of like you know 25 year old like sad loser guys in a garage somewhere and now it's tech is involved in everyone's life and my goodness that's not going to change anytime soon so as you say why not embrace it at a young age and and weave it into the curriculum weave weave it into education into socializing as well i guess for a lot of parents the concern is that screen time piece of you know especially during distance learning when the kids are on the laptops and their ipads constantly to my mind, though, there's good screen time and there's not so good screen time. And I wondered what your take on that was. Definitely, definitely. So when we talk about screen time, actually, the studies that show that screen time actually is bad for children is actually talking about uh, what we call the passive screen time, i.e. spending time reacting to whatever is offered to you, mm-hmm. like YouTube, uh, uh, playing games that are not proactive or need some thought process, or uh, especially uh, social media where you actually don't do anything except scrolling and your mind is used to it versus the active screen time, which studies have shown that uh, with active screen time, you actually get to develop your cognitive abilities. You get to develop iterative thinking, logical thinking, all of these elements that are needed with mm-hmm. the children and adults as well. Oh, it's interesting with adults because there was a study recently looking at, um, I think I believe it was surgeons talking about the amount of time they spent gaming actually really positively impacted their accuracy and their time in, in theatre, which isn't that surprising, really. I mean, I guess it's going to depend on what you're playing. You know, <laughs> we're talking Grand Theft Auto and then you're going to be... I, I, but when it comes to problem solving and speed and you know agility, those fine motor skills, there's an awful lot to be said for it. My my kind of gap is I'm, I don't feel that well informed as a parent when it comes to tech and what my, my daughter said to me, oh, you know, all my friends, the classic kid, all my friends have Roblox. Can I have Roblox? And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to have to do some reading about this because I don't know enough to be able to say yes or no. And I think that's something we as parents are trying to navigate with these kids who've never, ever known a world without the Internet, without gaming, without, you know, smartphones. So I wondered what you're offering then in terms of Geek Express. What are the things you're looking to help future-proof them for a career that probably doesn't even exist yet? Yeah, exactly. So if I want to talk a bit of statistics and numbers, you have about... 110 million jobs that are expected to be displaced within the next decades and created new up to. There is a study here in MENA that 67% of parents believe that their children would, uh, will work in jobs that are not yet invented. So parents in MENA children actually know that this is what's needed. However, they don't know the route mm-hmm. towards what's starting. And I believe the route towards what's starting because the jobs that will be created are all centered around technology. You have companies like Amazon, 
Google, Netflix are going into the biggest universities around the world like MIT and Stanford and telling them your curriculums are even not training them to become part of our uh, uh, companies because technology is moving so so fast and we need to adapt much faster to it. And hence why at Geek Express, we started offering a complete uh, uh, technology school for ages 5 to 17 and topics related to game development, app development, AI, uh, uh, web development, so that students learn these coding concepts and acquire this fundamental skill that get them ready for whatever jobs are offered in the future. That's from one side, but it's not only the technical side. Coding as an education does not only prepare you for the future job market. Coding is a core skill towards your child's brain abilities, similar to math, similar to science. It builds logic and problem-solving skills within your brain. What does it look like then in practice? So let's use my nearly eight-year-old as an example, who, I just said to you, off a favourite subject at school, art, swimming, PE and computer studies. This was not my experience because, Mike, I mean, I remember, you won't because you're younger than me, (laughs) these very big computers that were probably like a metre deep with the green screen. I think you had to type like star by star to turn it off. Like It had a cassette player. Like that, yeah. that was my computer studies experience. Hers, you know, they've got their own iPads there. She's editing photos. She absolutely loves it. So let's say I wanted to develop and kind of nurture this love she has for tech. What would it look like if I came to you and said, oh, where should, what could she do? What does... What next? Okay, what you do, this is why the Geek Express main uh, unique selling point is that we offer the most engaging journey for students and the most convenient journey for parents. So as a parent, you only need to book a free trial for your child, after which during the free trial, we will assess your child's level and your child's interest. And based on his her or his interest and level, we will recommend the right course for you to start with. Once you start with the course, we move you level after level, depending on your progress, your interest, that what type of projects that you develop. And all of the learning is happening on, uh, is happening on a project-based approach. So we don't do theory uh, teaching. So you actually, when you learn, you are learning towards developing your final project that you get to develop on your, uh, publish it on your digital portfolio and move to the next level course. What kind of projects would, you know, have been created in the past? Last year, we had approximately more than 10,000 projects developed across our platform. Uh, we had some mi- mind-blowing uh, projects. Do for- you get to keep a cut if they go on to become a future millionaire? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you need we're- to get the terms and conditions yeah. sorted out. <laughs> we're happy with doing what we do. But, but usually we had NFTs. We had uh, students developing, uh, uh, publishing and developing apps that support cancer patients here in Sharjah. We had apps related to promoting sustainability in uh, uh, Dubai and at Abu, Abu Dhabi. Uh, we had the biggest app development competition from all around MENA. The winner came from AOE and traveled to Silicon Valley to meet Facebook and Google. So Whoa. also with us, you don't learn, you don't only build projects, you get certified, but also you participate in the biggest international competitions of coding. Okay. So basically what you're saying is my eight-year-old could be my my pension pot for the future. I can retire early. Her tech skills are going to carry the whole family through and she's going to go in Silicon Valley. Three, yeah, three definitely. Guys. Okay, perfect. Um, we had a question saying, what about costs? Um, is, it per, is it termly? That's a good question. How does it work in terms of, do you need to wait until a new term starts in, you know, no. September, for example? At any time you want, you can go and book free trial and recommend the course and based on your own uh, 
timing. You get to choose the type of course you want. You can pick a course of private one-on-one or a group two-on-one, and you can start any time of day, any anytime you want, any day you want. Okay, um, and th- that's a really good question in terms of fees and things because I think I mean I know this. It's a, it's expensive having kids and it's expensive yeah, entertaining kids. Um, so how does that work? Are you able to kind of break that cost down for us as well? Okay, so if you want to go for the group course, which is two students on one teacher, which is actually similar to the private, but mm-hmm. you can actually go for it. That's approximately seven hundred fifty dirham for three months. Once per week, that's 12 hours of course, uh, 12 hours of learning, which is the course. Or you can upgrade to a private one-on-one. That's approximately 1,100 dirham. If anyone wants the details of Geek Express, drop me a little message. So we, you can just say geek and I will send you the link. <laughs> and what are you most excited about to come out of the, of the programme in this year? What are you looking forward to seeing the students working on? Uh, this year, I, I think the biggest thing that we're working on with our children uh, is that the AI subject is going to come booming this year, especially with the chat GPT, with all the AI uh, uh, apps and platforms that are working on it and the debate that's going on. Are they taking our jobs as creatives? I as art? hope not. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> so uh, we're going to uh, help kids understand that creatives, arts, people jobs will come parallel to what you're building, guys, mm-hmm. and help writers be better writers with the AI tools that you have, develop platforms for them, develop. So I'm super excited about the type of projects that they will be developing. Thank you so, so much for coming in and sharing your passion. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ryan Nashley is the co-founder, COO of Geek Express, talking coding, talking future careers. And if you want the details, we've already had a number of you are saying geek to 4001. I will send you that link right now. Wishing you a good one for all the team. Thank you, Helen. It is this time every time this week where we bring in Ludmilla and Malava, our resident legal eagle, to answer my questions, most importantly your questions, and look at the headlines as well. So what do you need to know this week? Get in touch if you've got any queries, concerns, you need an expert second opinion, you want to test the waters, need a bit of an action plan, this is your chance. Ludmilla Malava with us from HPL Malava. And Paluka, how are you? You were a bit under the weather last week. Have you improved? Oh, much better. I'm oh, back good. to my normal self. Oh, good. It is but miserable. better for worse. <laughs> Do you know what? What I'm just going to say now, public service announcement, you know when you've got a really, really bunged up nose and you go, I will never take breathing out of my nose for granted ever again. And as soon as you're better, you forget about it. So if you haven't currently got a cold, have a nice inhale and remember just how lucky you are because when you don't have it, it is miserable. Get ready Stay for a busy hour, Ludmilla. Get ready. Before we go to the text line, and as I said, lots of messages coming in there, um, in terms of the headlines, we've had a couple of new laws that need a quick flagging. Can we start with this legal age for starting a business in the UAE? And we were talking about this just a number of weeks ago, about how old you need to be to drive a car, for example, get married. And starting a business has now changed. So what is the latest? Indeed. So now to start a business, you can be 18. And then at the age of 18, you are basically a full-fledged a member of the business community or can be in terms of being able to start a business. This is a big change. Uh, so, and this change is the effect of the new commercial transactions law, uh, which by the way, replaces an old law from 1993. So this change was obviously in light of all the recent uh, legal changes that we have mm-hmm. seen in the last two years was uh, uh, just a matter of time. It was perhaps a long time coming. So now uh, there is a new commercial transactions law, which completely replaces the previous law. And as for this new law, uh, now the legal age to trade is 18 versus the previous age of 21. 
furthermore, uh, those who are between the age of 15 and 18 may also be able to trade, uh, but uh, the legalities and the, um, uh, the mechanism for them to trade in that age category is subject to a cabinet resolution which will be passed in the future. Uh, which ultimately will introduce some sort of form of exception, but also will allow those who are the age of 15 to start okay. trading as well. Next so, and as you rightfully said, this is this is a huge change because in the past there were so many different age categories. Mm -hmm. The uh, official age of majority is considered to be 21, yet you could get married at the age of 18, you could drive at the age of 18, you could work at the age of 15. Uh, you could open a bank account at the age of 18, but to start a business, legally speaking, you're not able to do until you were 21. Hey, hey, young entrepreneurs coming up. Um, let's stay with businesses, if you don't mind. We had a, literally just this second had a message from Tasha saying, wanted to know if I start selling handmade earrings on a small scale through existing shops or markets, do I still need a business license? It is better to have a business license. Now, there are many different types of licenses that are available, in particular for cases like what the listener just mentioned. Uh, so there is a license that's, that's called an e-trader license, um, and that license is available through DED, and that's uh, the mainland uh, zone. And this license is available for those who have UE residency, and sounds like the listener here would have UE residency. And this license is allowed also ultimately do these sort of small businesses and, um, and it's an e-trader license mm -hmm. so in a way since the listener said that she's going to be trading it through somebody else and so I think for the time being it might qualify uh, it's a fairly easy option it's and so you can easy. get it within an hour and it's only a thousand dirhams yeah. um, so and that gives you a legitimate uh, sort of your own license to ultimately operate uh, and I think for the time being this this might suffice and if the operations improve and increase at that point in time it may be time to open your own um, uh, company yeah sky's the limit but yes on the Sasha it's so easy I have a version of this for social media I think it was mine was about 1200 dirhams but couldn't be easier DED Cafe on Beach Road really nice really friendly lovely guy called Tarek for the record if you ask for him great coffee I hear it too really good coffee it opens at 8 it, it, honestly it's it's never been so easy but yes if you are making money you need to be able to do that legally but um, a really affordable way to, to start that hope that hope that helps let us know when you get off the ground Joining us live is Ludmilla Imalova on hand to look behind the headlines and yes, go to the text line too. I want to quickly go to the text line um, regarding a couple of issues that I think you'll be able to talk about super quickly and then we'll get on to one of the, uh, one of the topics of the hour. Message here saying, academic question, is there a legal age to get married in the UAE and is it different for men and women? The legal age to get married is 18 and it's not different for men and women, no. It's a quick one. Uh, but um, oh. there is... Uh, <laughs> There are some exceptions that if uh, someone wants to get married below the age of uh, 18, between the age of 15 to 18, then then uh, there is a requirement to seek judge's approval. Okay. So that that's, helps. but it does, it's irrespective of uh, whether it's a female or male. Um, no name on this one saying, re the amortization law, we're a small creative agency of 16 people. Does this apply to us? Well, interesting. So I guess the short answer, I would say no. However, I do want to highlight the, the somewhat sort of uh, discrepancy. I'm trying to be diplomatic in the way I phrase it, but discrepancy in the law and the regulation. So the law ultimately sets the milestone for amortization from 50 employees plus. 
However, the decree or the subsequent regulations is setting up penalties for not complying with the law. The first uh, category for penalties is from employee number zero to 50. So there's a bit huh. of a discrepancy between the law and the regulations, but I would say to be safe, uh, uh, it's, um, I would say it's, it's the, the mark is 50 employees plus. Uh, and with regards to the discrepancy in the penalties, I'm sure that will be clarified uh, in due time. And a follow-up question saying, do these fines apply to DIFC entities and also for the new unemployment insurance law, does that apply to DIFC as well? Great question. The short answer is no for both. And I will explain why. So first of all, with regards to the unemployment insurance, the law itself uh, does not uh, does not really differentiate between free zones and or uh, non-free zones or mainland. However, uh, much of the regulations that um, that come regarding amortization and unemployment insurance are issued by what's called the Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization, which is MOHRE. And MOHRE only has jurisdiction over the non-free zone companies. Uh, so all the free zone companies are not subject to, to uh, Ministry of Human Resources and Amortization. And on top of that, the DIFC is subject to its own body of laws altogether, including employment laws. Uh, so neither the DIFC nor free zones are at least automatically subject to the amortization or the unemployment insurance. And also in practical terms, if you uh, if you try to subscribe right now to the unemployment insurance as a free zone employee, the system will tell you that free zone employees for the time being are excluded. Okay. Uh, now, that's by default. Uh, so it may be that both free zones and the DIFC may introduce their own versions of these regulations, but for the time being, uh, they are not included. Okay, thank you for that. Um, Now, domestic workers, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more in depth, but I want to read out this question for you so you've got a little time to kind of mull it over. Saying, I'm so confused about what what is the law. Increasingly, more house helpers are claiming they have their own visa. The benefit they're claiming is that the salary is higher. Can they legally work as live-in house helpers if they've got their own visa and labour card as a cleaner? I know some people are fine with this. I want to know what is the law and if anything happens, um, would we need the police involved? Are we covered and legal in this situation? Um, Ludmilla, are you able to, able to kind of outline exactly what's going on? Because we're hearing lots of different mixed messages, whether that is from employees or employers. Right. So the short answer, I would say, to be on the safe side, the answer is no. And I'll explain why. Uh, when uh, we hear these comments of I have my own visa, the, the devil is in, in the details, the saying goes, uh, it's there is no such visa, a housemaid visa, for example. You cannot have your own uh, housekeeper visa. I will tell you that. So that kind of visa for that activity does not exist. So therefore, when you hear a lot of domestic help saying that they have their visa, they have one of two kinds. Either they are sponsored by usually a local family uh, as a domestic employee, and why local family? Because local families can sponsor uh, domestic employees for uh, up to three years, where, where, while expats, uh, uh, other than the golden visa holders, can only do so for one year. So what I have seen often is that domestic employees are sponsored by local family for three years, and then they basically pay for that visa, and they go around and offer their services to uh, third parties. So that's one type of so-called your, your own visa. And the other type of visa is that, in fact, you're an employee of some other company and you're basically being sold a visa and that scheme is also fairly common i'm sure all of us have seen that before and so they're working under that visa so they've paid to somebody else for that visa but uh but in any one of the but in none of those cases uh that if you're employed by a company you will have a domestic employee visa so it's it's a you could be an assistant you could be a pro you could be some other 
designation, but you are not a, a specifically a domestic employee. Therefore, mm -hmm. under the immigration law, uh, working under that visa and providing domestic uh, services is actually against the law. And now there is several body or authorities that are at play now and have reviewed them closely recently. One is the immigration law uh, or the U the new UE residency law that's the one that sets out the golden visas and the green visas and all that other uh, types of visa and immigration um, uh, rules. And that's one body of law. The other one is the new uh, domestic employee law. And third is the new uh, decree that came out on the back of the employee law setting up penalties for uh, for violation of the uh, the domestic employees law. And so in each one of these sources of law that are fairly specific and rather um, strict uh, provisions and making it quite clear that working under the wrong visa is illegal. And so if you're working under somebody else's visa, then it's illegal and that's expressly provided for in all these three different sources of law. Mm -hmm. um, so the short of it is that if you want to play it safe, uh, it would you should have you should have a properly licensed, a properly sponsored nanny or domestic employee working for you. And all those who are working under their so-called their own visas, uh, everybody is subject to potential penalties, i.e. the employee, the employee, um, the family that's hiring and also the family that's allowing the sponsoring the employee and allowing them to work for someone else. Okay. That's a lot. It's a lot to process. I think a lot of people do have these quite um, confused and convoluted routes to having help. So hopefully that is a bit of clarity. But if you're still feeling a bit unsure about your own um, domestic situation, um, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Lumila, I want to briefly touch on end of service for domestic employees, because this is another area of concern and confusion for an awful lot of families in the UAE. Are you able to give us a quick minute summary on anyone that is employing someone, what they need to know when that service does come to an end? Yes, I have to tell you, it's a bit of a disappointment, my own personal comment. Uh, so as of the new as for the new domestic employment law, there is no more uh, reference to um, end of service benefits for domestic employees. Now, the law it does say it does state that domestic employee benefits will be uh, addre addressed in subsequent regulations or the cabinet resolution. The cabinet resolution has been issued already and there's no mention of the end of service uh, benefits for domestic employees. There may be another um, another re resolution that will come uh, later, but for the time being, there is no specific there's a reference to something that was supposed to come, which has not come. Under the previous version of the domestic employee law, there was a very specific uh, section uh, for end of service benefits, which was about two weeks of salary for every year of service, and that had to be paid out every two years. Um, so now the new uh, domestic employee law had uh, cancelled out that previous law, uh, and for the time being, I have not seen anything else that uh, introduces uh, employment benefits or, the, or end of service for domestic employees. So. As things stand right now, there is no legal reference on which employees, domestic employees, that is, can rely to request or expect end-of-service entitlements. This, as you say, we may expect a change to that. What I would say on a personal basis is you can do better. If you can, you can give someone, you know, a bonus or an end of service if that is something that you think that you'd like to do and that they deserve if someone's been in your home and your family um i would just say you can do better that's all i'm going to say just because it's just because you're you know going by the lines of the law doesn't mean you can't um you can't do better that's all Indeed. I'm going to say on that. You can topic. always offer additional benefits. Right? Exactly, exactly. But as we said, if anything does change, we will of course keep you up to date here on the show.
joining us live on the line to take any legal queries that you might have. Maybe you need some clarification on a recent law change. Maybe you're in a bit of a pickle on anything from, um, we've been talking gratuity, rent increases, divorces. This is your chance. We've also had a number of questions asking about trading legally as well. Ludmilla Malava is with us from HPL Malava and Pluka. An anonymous message here, as I always say, if you'd rather leave your name off. Not an issue. Saying, can I advertise and sell baked goods from home? So selling food effectively. Selling food is a different story because obviously it involves that it's a public and health um, concern and safety issue. Uh, so uh, to do it legally, selling food, again, if you're just selling it to your neighbors and you're just kind of staying under the radar uh, and uh, you're selling it to your school, you know, it's it's sort of it's it's perhaps for a little while you can do that, but technically speaking, anything to do with food needs to be properly licensed for all sorts of possible, you know, I guess um, obvious reasons such as making sure that you have the facility, the refrigeration facilities, the cooking facilities, the baking facilities, and all the goods and products that you use are in fact uh, properly um, vetted by the authorities. Mm-hmm. So to do it on the right scale, to do it commercially, you would need to have proper license. Okay, good to know. Um, we're talking about the um, Arad Emiratization. Why can't I? Why can't I say this, Lumila? There are a few words I really can't say. Emiratization. Inno- Thank you. Please. Could you say innovative every time I need to say that on the radio as well? Um, does the law apply to private schools? We've had a message asking. So amortization applies to uh, all private and government sector, but certainly private sector. So uh, private schools will obviously cover that. However, for the time being, amortization does not apply to free zones. So if the school is based in free zone, then that would be excluded. But otherwise, it would also be subject uh, to the same department. Good to know. Thank you. Let's come back to our conversation around domestic workers. A message here saying we've been approached by a maid to provide domestic help on a live out basis. She's currently on a husband's visa. Can we employ her and provide her with a labour card or is there an alternative option? So, again, it's it's a hard one because in this particular case, the person obviously is properly sponsored. She has a real residency and she is sponsored as, as a spouse. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I guess just, just like you can make exceptions for other, uh, for all those other ones who are spon- sponsored as spouses and they can work, uh, in theory, logically, you should be able to make the same kind of arrangement for someone who is uh, a domestic employee, but... The domestic employment law that specifically covers anybody who is in the domestic employment sector does seem to suggest that all such employees must be properly sponsored by the family where they work. Um, so, you know, as, as a lawyer, I have to tell you, I have to be cautious and, mm-hmm. and, and conservative in my advice. And I would tell, I would say right now, as for the new employ- uh, domestic employee laws, it's it, these these sort of employees should be properly sponsored by the family that employs them in that for that specific activity, i.e. as a domestic employee. Okay, hope that helps. Thank you, Ludmilla. I know, as you say, it's a grey area. It's morally a bit of a tricky one, but we know what the law says, so helpful indeed. Um, when to come to a message, no name on this, came in on 4001 saying, um, I currently have a potentially life-threatening illness. My father is critically sick and the will states half to me, half to my siblings. To, sorry, to my sibling. If something happens to me, i.e. I die, does my inheritance go to my child who's over 18? We're all British citizens. Thank you. So um, uh, to, to uh, have a sense of certainty, uh, you should have, a, you know, I mean, I guess the listener here in this particular case should have a will uh, for her own interest, not relying on her father's will, but her own will. 
for her for her inheritance uh, because without the will uh, for the time being, the default uh, uh, disposition of the estate would be conducted as per Sharia law, mm-hmm. by, by default. Now, you can argue a diff- application of a different law, but um, it, it's, a, it's a more difficult exercise, and it's, it's sort of unproven ground still, uh, and we've had kind of mis- mixed success. That being said, there is a new, empl- there is a new inheritance law or a family law, um, that will allow uh, for more flexibility for purpose of inheritance uh, for those, but you still need to have a will uh, ultimately. So right now the law is a little bit in flux. Um, I'd say if you want a sense of certainty today, you should have a will. And if you're going to have a will, you should have a will that has been properly tested. And that's right for the time being. Again, right now it's for the GIFC Will Center. It is more expensive than other options, but it is one avenue that is um, has been well tested and proven. Uh, but if you want to be patient, uh, in the next uh, few months, there will be perhaps other registries that will allow for registration of the will. And by the way, under this new law, uh, it is still uh, it is still based on the assumption that there is a registry where the will is registered and not just purely a document that you write on your own and sort of put it under your pillow and, and rely on it as um, as a governing instrument, which is the case in many other uh, in many other countries. But here for the time being is still whether it's a DFC registered will or some other will, it needs to be registered uh, with a particular registry. But for the time being, we only have the DIFC. Um, that I can advise, okay. but the law is changing for yeah, it's becoming more flexible. So uh, perhaps in the next few months, I can give more updated information. In the meantime, though, as you say, um, DIFC and wishing you all the very best with your situation. Sorry, sorry to hear about your dad. Um, let's ask this question, which I think is a really interesting one. Um, message here saying, hello both. My closest friend, through no fault of her own, ended up in financial trouble. My husband and I have agreed to lend them 200,000 dirhams to clear a debt with the agreement for the amount to be paid back to us. We've discussed the interest, the length of the loan, and now looking at what they will secure that loan against. All of that is in hand. My question is, how do we go about creating a personal loan agreement? Is it necessary to go through a solicitor? My friend would cover the cost, or could we draft something ourselves? So there is an instrument that uh, is sort of designed exactly for this purpose in terms of its enforceability, and that's what's called an acknowledgement of debt. Uh, that document you can register, you can um, register and notarize, have notarized uh, the at the Dubai notary or any other notary, depending on the emirate you, uh, where you are. Uh, so, and they have a specific template, which, which is basically for acknowledgement of debt. So in that case, both parties come to the notary and they acknowledge that party A gave party B a loan for this particular amount. And so and they and they have whatever timeline to repay it. And that instrument is the best instrument you, instrument you can have to protect your interest. So you don't need to draft it yourself. They do have the notary has its own template. Uh, and, um, and 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 more importantly, this it, once it's uh, been registered with the notary, it becomes what's called an enforceable and executable instrument. So you don't need to go to court to argue the merits of this particular document. You can go straight for enforcement in the event of a default. So that's what I recommend, and it's a fairly inexpensive uh, option. And um, just go to the notary, and I think it's a, a matter of a few hundred dirhams, but it will be in Arabic, which you can later translate into English. And it sounds like you're doing doing all the stuff that we would normally advise if someone's talking about lending money, especially of that amount. So. 
Well done. Last question. How easy is it to change a guardianship document? Since we did it a few years ago, all our guardians have left Dubai. Well, you're not alone in that. I had a, I had a meeting with a financial um, expert the other day and I was like, emergency contact apart from my husband. Okay, interesting. That's the nature of Dubai. Um, so how easy is it to make any amends to that guardianship document, Ludmilla? It's easy. It depends on, I'm assuming that the person might have uh, registered the guardianships of the DFC because that is one uh, forum where these kinds of mechanisms have been quite uh, commonly used. Uh, it's very easy. You just you need to submit a new, uh, gar- a new. Uh, it's an amendment basically to the guardianship statement and you just uh, submit the, who the new members are. Sometimes you can do it by virtue of changing the entire will. Uh, and sometimes you can just mention, you know, I don't want, basically those guardians no longer apply. Uh, but to do it the right way, you would just uh, do an amendment to the will. And as, as far as the DFC is concerned, it's 500 dirhams to do the amendment. So it's easy to do and you could do it all online. Brilliant. Lamilia Malava, thank you as ever. Always a busy afternoon. And for anyone whose message we didn't get to, don't worry, I will squirrel away for next week. So we've got another busy Monday afternoon coming your way. Thank you so much. Lamilia Malava can be found at HPL Malava and Pluka. She's also across social media. A fantastic resource for reflecting on headlines, taking questions, talking hot topics. And we have her every single Monday afternoon. Lamilla, wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Thank you. Thank you. So don't forget, you can get in touch with us at anything you need to know. Equally, if there's any topics that you'd like us to raise, address, you think there's confusion around it, please, please, please drop me a message. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.